Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Amin Al Hassan. Welcome, Amin. Welcome, Ethan. Thank you for joining me on my uh, therapy session here. Yesterday, my family, we decided to put our dog down. A very emotional decision for dog owners. Amin, I know you're in my head already that you're like, who cares? Put him down. Get the shotgun. Bit him out back. Maybe you watched Old Yeller before. <laughs> You're going to buy a new dog next week and forget all about this thing. <laughs> Somehow, me and his dog hating Jerry Seinfeld in this uh, construction. What's the deal with people crying about dogs? <laughs> well, here's the deal. Cooper, you guys have met Cooper. Yes. That's a dog. He had cancer. I thought you were talking about I thought you were talking about Coop from the heat. Every time I mention my dog Cooper, you think it's about Coop Moorhead. Because it's like that's a mutual friend that we have. Great film guy. Oh, yeah. He's the best. Both Coops are great. Very good boy, Cooper Moorhead is. <laughs> He's a good boy. I love petting him. He had cancer. We knew he had cancer a couple months ago. It was looking pretty bleak. And then he kind of bounced back. And he's the dog that we bought. My wife and I, we rescued him from a a shelter in Bristol, Connecticut, Pawtectors. Shout out to Pawtectors in Bristol, Connecticut. It happened in place when I was working at ESPN. My 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 sister got a dog and then my uh, my girlfriend, now wife, she was working daytime hours. I was working nights at ESPN, 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. And we were like, you know what? We never see each other. We should probably get a dog. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? To save our relationship, we decided to get a dog. That didn't save your relationship. How did that save your relationship? Like, oh, you guys would have been broken up. Like, Tom, I can't do this anymore. You guys are just in arguing and throwing coffee. Like, you call this coffee? <laughs> and then the dog, the dog came and goes, guys, 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 we can, we, we don't have to be. Yeah. We share more commonalities and differences if you just think about it. <laughs> You just think about it. Hey, I've seen people do that and then break up and have the shared custody of the dog. It's always an awkward, oh, no. awkward situation. I will say, eulogy for Cooper. Well, well, two thoughts. First, I can't even imagine you bringing this to Amin. I mean, it, it just seems you know what's going to happen. You know, you know how he feels. It's just amazing to me that you would that you would provoke the man like this. He's going to be cruel. He can't help it at this point. So I don't even blame Amin at this juncture. But secondarily. Uh, a eulogy to Cooper, who was a great boy. I, I thought just such an awesome dog, very friendly. Even if when we were, I think, at a taco shop, he tried to get himself served. He ran up to the, the to the cash register and then went on his hind legs like he was ordering food, which I found <laughs> to be hilarious. But yes. Uh, I yes. feel your pain, Tom. My dog's an older dog. He's had health issues. Uh it's it's where it's all headed. I I don't know. Lifespans of animals, very strange thing. Why a dog lives to around a decade if you're even lucky, and then a tortoise lives over a hundred years. Somebody work that out for me. It seems very arbitrary. Maybe we should switch that. Thank you for that beautiful tribute, Ethan, to Cooper. Uh, I mean, it's your turn. <laughs> how much? How, how much did you spend in health costs <laughs> on this this animal? Well. For me, like an ultrasound, we had a lot of ultrasounds on him, and an ultrasound comes out to about like eighty bucks or so, um, at least in, in in at the vet that we go to. Uh, I was I was to be honest, the first time we brought him in for an ultrasound to check out his uh, the tumors and stuff, I was really waiting for like a, a grand, 
Like I didn't know. I had no idea what an ultrasound would cost for a dog. So I was just bracing myself for a really difficult, uh, you know, looking at that invoice. But the, um, but like a couple months ago, he had issues going to the bathroom. So we brought him in and he had all sorts of tumors and stuff and it was not looking good. And then we put him on some new meds, some anti-inflammatories, and that seemed to help. And the meds aren't super expensive. What? I mean, but for cancer, well, it's more, it's more, uh, some of the inflammation you gave, in, it's, you gave it's hard some, to explain. He's laughing. <laughs> you gave him ibuprofen. It's like, this it seems to be helping. <laughs> it was, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like whatever in the meds that we put him on were for, for his condition, he miraculously turned around. Um, it lasted two months. So I don't, I don't know how successful it was, but we thought we were going to be putting him down like two months ago. And he was able to go to Louisville to see your favorite city once again, um, to see the in-laws family in Kentucky. We got to go to the family vacation, uh, Oak Island with him and all these things we were just like, we had already written off. And then we came home from Oak Island and we were getting ready for, uh, you know, um, for the school year. And let me tell you guys, Thursday night, um, I don't know if it was Thursday, but last week, my youngest two days after we, after she had her first day of school, she had erupted in a explosive vomiting session all night. Uh, we were talking about this, what last, last week, the fact that the kids go to school and it's just a germ factory. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, 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 yes I thought you meant the dog. I was no. going to say, I show up here, I black out. I, I don't know. I mean, it probably happened. So the germ factory happens. The, there's a huge stomach bug that's running through our family. And then Cooper, our dog, gets sick. It was ugly. A lot of hosing down the back deck, if you know what I mean. Um, just cleaning up mm. things. Uh, we ended up going, Amin will love this. We ended up going to the pet store and getting doggy diapers. Just waiting for your reaction here. I mean, I mean, this is when you go ew. No, quite the opposite. I think all pets should probably have diapers. We wouldn't have like lumps of shit on the ground when I'm trying to take a walk. <laughs> I want to say something. One, one second. I want to say something. I want to say something. I, I get where Amin's coming from. I understand it. But he presents it. Like, oh, my God. This dog so expensive. And yeah, you, you drop more money than you're prepared to. I, I certainly do. It gets into that at least four-figure territory. But Cooper was a big, medium-sized dog. You know, he has a job to do. It's functionality. It's not just it's not just emotional support. What's his job? This is a guard dog. He's a guard dog. What was he guarding? <laughs> what was he guarding? My family. No, uh, Jesus. Okay, like how many times did Cooper get called into active duty? Twice. <laughs> Twice. Twice. Tell me these well, two stories. I've had my house robbed. I've had my house robbed once. He's on retainer. Um, he wasn't around oh, for it. Cooper did and a great job. He, oh, I'd say he did a great he job. Wasn't, he wasn't there. One. We were away. <laughs> we were away. I mean, Jesus. Asleep at the switch. And then one time in Miami, this drunken idiot decided to, at like three in the morning, decided he was getting in our yeah. apartment. Hey, you told me this story. The guy want, thought he was going into your his apartment, but it was your apartment. But somehow it. His key not fitting wasn't enough of a tip for him. Yeah. He thought his girlfriend had switched up the locks on him. And then when I said, hey, man, you got the wrong apartment unit. This isn't your apartment. And he thought I was like the guy the that guy. his girlfriend yeah. was. Yeah. The other guy that oh, she was cheating on. So oh, it fired God. him up even more that I was trying to dissuade him from breaking down the door. And he's like, I know what you're doing. 
I'm going to go in there. That would have been the dumbest way to die. That would have been just so <laughs> random and just stupid. So he, he was barking up a storm. I don't know what he would have done if the guy actually barged down the door. And I had my baseball bat. I, I had my dog, but who knows? Drunken. This guy was a big dude. Anyway, um, he lost interest. My, my shoulder into the door ended up uh, keeping him away. But anyway, so we get him these diapers. And so we- hold on. So I just counted. One instance where he wasn't there, so he didn't do shit. And another another <laughs> instance where your shoulder did more work than, than the dog did. I thought you were going to say but that hey. the dog barked and the guy said, wait a second, we don't have a dog. Maybe this isn't my place. But no, no, <laughs> he, he, he pretty much ignored the dog. But I knew that if the shoulder failed, he would not fail me. That's, I mean, I had the confidence to know. I, I will say this. There's something to that. That sense of, okay, you got my back. Like there is a loyalty to that, that sense of, okay, you're going to put it on the line for me. That's, that's, that's not a cat. I will say that. I know people like cats for other reasons, but a cat isn't doing that. So I think that gets missed sometimes. It gets missed by the dog haters out there. The dog occasionally can do a job beyond just be there. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Ethan. What's that job? Again. To back you up when you've got a situation. I mean, how many times have a, has a seatbelt saved your life? Do you still put on a seatbelt? All the mm. time, man. All the time. <laughs> how bad a driver are you? Jesus. <laughs> have you been in a car with a mean driving? He's an amazing driver, but you always feel like you're in Grand Theft Auto. Part of that is just the soundtrack is very much San Andreas. It's uh, it's not of this time. It's, it's of the time when I was younger, which is why I enjoy driving with the mean. But uh, my dog, I would say, uh, has come up big time a couple of times. And that's all you need. That's all you need, really. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Oh God. Well, remember remember Larry Leon, the crazy dope fiend that was yeah. stalking my family? Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a great story. He pulled that scam where he kind of did a slip and fall in front of my wife's car and then <laughs> did the number exchange and then you know, I just was arriving at the house out of nowhere trying to hit us up. Well, one day uh, I was on the road. I was on the road as a beat writer back then. And apparently he was out there on the porch. Allie was home with her friend and they opened the door and Otto barked and growled and, you know, helped chase him away. And we never saw him again, you know? So, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. Now, maybe Larry oh, yeah. Leon, who knows what happened, you know? Maybe he keeps coming back. I'm not sure. But the bottom line is that Otto did his job right then and there. Hell yeah, Otto. And then there was other times where I just had a, a neighbor who was really annoying, and I, I appreciated him barking at, at her just because not he wasn't saving the house, but she was being very frustrating. And so I, I just appreciated the backup. Man, I, I don't know if this is real or not, but just the fact that Cooper had been with me for all of like some shit in my life that uh, I always was able to have unconditional and a means going to say this is all just Pavlovian, that he's not licking you because he loves you. He's licking you because he wants a treat. He wants food. Because he recognizes that you are the provider. Yeah, and it's completely a business transaction. This is what Marcus says too. It's like, hey, he's just worried about his dinner. As though as though there is no bonding happening. As though the dog is thinking, oh, don't get him. Then I'm going to have to walk the streets hungry. And that's why he's barking. That's not – dogs are pack animals. They bond to you. They will put their life on the line for you. It's not transactional where they're going – Hey, hey, buddy, that's my meal ticket. If anybody's going to do anything to him, it's going to be me. Yeah, straight up. Thank you, Ethan. This is why I have you here. So then uh, (laughs) what ends up happening is 
we we scheduled for the the final procedure, so to speak, for Thursday, and this is Tuesday. We talked to our vet. The vet says, "In my opinion, it's time." Um, after looking at the ultrasound, and she says, "You know, we can do this right now. Is you can you can bring the family out, and we can we can do this now, or I'll be uh, I'll be out of the office on Wednesday, and then I'll be back on Thursday." And, and in my head, this didn't make total sense, but in my head, I was like, "I don't think my family's ready to say goodbye right now." And she said, "It's not." completely dire. Like I can give you some pain meds and you can spend some extra time with Cooper. And we just, we just weren't, I don't think ready, um, to do it. And to be honest, like he wasn't at this point showing any like signs that this was like too far gone. It was, it was kill me. <laughs> didn't hit you with that. Yeah. I'm bracing myself for a me and just be like, I, me, me, me dog is dying and wants to, is in pain. And you're, I know I, I get it. So then we decide, all right, we want the final procedure to be done by our... The dog's paw grabs the shotgun and lifts the <laughs> nuzzle right up against its head. <laughs> Shoot. Ethan's, Ethan's cupping his eyes right now, trying not to laugh on the air. You guys remember Full Metal Jacket with the sniper? <laughs> and like he goes and finds the sniper and he shot him. And he's like, Shoot me. No, I'm just going to pretend no, just so we can move on. So then I'm like, all right, well, we'll, we'll wait till Thursday. The doctor will do it. And I have this connection, the bond with the doctor because she's seen him for years. And um, so I wanted to do it, do it then. And then Wednesday came around and it, it, it was time. We called the doctor and we said, we need to get him in now. So we have our, we have our like family hugs and tears and goodbyes and he has his diapers on and he goes out to the car and this is the ceremonial, like take the dog to the car, pick him up. And, um, and he tries to get down and he ends up, you know, trying to get down. So he gets down and then he decides to go potty one more time in my front yard, but he's wearing a diaper. So I was like, well, I'm not going to let him just be soiled going off to his final appointment. So I was like, all right. So he went potty in the diaper. So I got to change my dog's diaper. I mean, so I'm changing my dog's diaper and I got to clean him off. So I go and I get the hose. Now the hose, I've been cleaning the deck off with the highest power setting, right? Because, you know, every hose like gun nozzle has like eight settings on it, which is like mist, you know, like flat center shower. I was using jet on the, on the deck, right? I had to like, you know, just just clean off this deck. So I was putting the most powerful setting out on it. You know where this is going. So I take the diaper off and I have to clean up my dog and I take the, the hose and I just, I'm, I forget to send it to like a very soft setting. Oh God. And I basically just jet powered cleaning him up. And I swear to you, I gave my dog an enema on his way out. Oh Jesus. I thought you were going to say either one or two things, either one. And I just, Glory be to God, it just blew the cancer right out of his asshole. <laughs> oh, no. he, was, he was good as new. Either that uh. either that or like Cooper's brain just got just the no, shit went right through. I killed my dog with a hose. <laughs> yeah, no, I called I mean, the vet it like on just... second thought we won't be coming in for that. This this reminds me of when I was a kid and our great Dane died and we you returned him to the veterinary hospital, but the parking spot wasn't right there. So I just remember my mom and I with a wagon and like a dead great Dane corpse just going down the street and people looking. 
I don't. I shouldn't laugh. It was very sad, but it was also horrifyingly funny. So Cooper got clean, and uh, I felt so bad that like he had to go through that on his like on his very uh, difficult, dark road to the to the vet. He had to go through that. So I clean him up. I put the diaper back on. We get to the animal hospital. And uh, I, I get out of the animal hospital and this is in the, in the part of town, like Charlotte, like there's a lot of people walking around and, and um, we get out of the car again and he decides to go again he, on the outside of the, the vet. And this girl is walking by as it's happening and she sees this poor old dog, my lovely Cooper, who's crouched doing a squat in a diaper and she just must have thought this was the weirdest thing she's ever seen. Just on a random like Wednesday afternoon, she sees this dog in a diaper going potty. Like, what do you do at that point? Do you change the diaper? Do you do you clean them up? And at that point, I was like, I'm already there. I'll mention it to them at the at the at the hospital. Like, hey, if we can change it, whatever. So they we go in. Where were you at again? Like, where was this again? This was in Charlotte, like in a city where there's a, there's a brewery across the street. Okay. No, no, I, I, I'm making a point here. I feel like they'd be very understanding because. When I was in Charlotte visiting you, everybody has a lab. I don't know if this is a suburban southern thing, but I feel like it's about four labs per family, conservative estimate. So I, I don't think it was appearing that freakish to people. That's it's all I'm saying. I don't think that's a southern thing. That's a North, North, a New England thing too. Very much a New England thing uh, to have labs, um, including that was the dog in New England that I grew up with was a yellow lab, just for the record. So um, – so it was, you know, it was sad. It was, um, you know, a lot of like tears and they, they go through the whole process of how it goes down. The doctor does. And then um, and then she's like, all right, so I'm going to um, leave the room for five, you know, five to ten minutes. Just have your own private time with him. Say your goodbyes and then I'll come back. Can you you come outside and you say I'm ready and then we'll do the final. So I'm like, OK, let's let's just let's do this. So she, the doctor leaves the room. I'm there with my dog. He's got an IV in his wrist already. And I crouch down cause he's on the ground laying on his side. And I just on all my, like I'm on my knees and I'm just holding his ears and I'm petting him and I'm saying goodbye. And I'm in a mask and I realize like, is it okay to take off your mask when you're sobbing uncontrollably? Like what's the move there? You were sobbing. I was. Oh, I was. I was sobbing. I was like crying. I was thinking about all the thirteen years we had together. Well, yeah, and and you've got all those touchstones with you and your wife and your kids. I mean, it's it's got to be an emotional time. Was he the best man at your wedding? <laughs> <laughs> no, you he, he did not bring out the. Uh, what song plays in the montage in your mind as you're crying? What song is uh, in the background? Is it that one from Six Feet Under that they had at the very end? Who's that? I love that one. That's great. Uh, hope you had the time of your life. Oh, Green Day. Is it Coldplay Fix You or something like that? Oh, that's good. Well, maybe Cat Stevens. You got a little Cat Stevens in there. Oh, no. I, mean, I don't know how you go for your Cats dog montage. <laughs> that's about a workaholic dog, that song. You know, a dog who just never makes time for his family. <laughs> yes. Um, too busy doing dog things. He lives to regret it uh, is the ultimate lesson there. There I am sobbing hysterically. I'm thinking in my head, like, can I take my mask off and, and, and 
you know, blow my nose or like clean myself up a little bit? Or is that like not okay in the COVID protocols? Or do you have like an exemption? Like, hey, your dog's dying. You can take your mask off and just blow your nose and, and leave your germs everywhere. No one's going to question. Yo, I just want to say, man, these motherfuckers are, are listening to us, man, because I opened Instagram and the first thing that popped up was Tom on the beach with a dog next to him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my boy. God. 13 years of companionship. Late night wrestle matches. What? Non-stop squirrel chasing and long <laughs> hugs with the girls. Yesterday, R. Cooper passed away peacefully with me at his side. This is, oh, my God. This is a very David Thorpe caption. <laughs> my favorite memory of Cooper was the first one. While living in West Weathersfield, Connecticut, Allison and I, dating at the time, wanted to rescue a dog. By the way, this brings up the point that I just like two years ago re- discovered that a rescue dog was a dog that you rescued. I thought a rescue dog meant like it was like trained, <laughs> like a St. Bernard, like to go into the, Al- the Alps and <laughs> with, a, no. with, with a barrel of cognac around its neck to save lost hikers and stuff. Mm-hmm. A rescue dog. So we looked at a website at Animal Shelter in Bristol and a puppy caught our eye. Ben's Border Collie, housebroken. That's the one. What does Ben's mean? You'll, you'll learn as you read. I mean, thank you. He was the cutest thing. So we emailed the shelter and said we'd like to meet him. When he got there, he he jumped around for joy. We needed to have him. Of course, he jumped around for joy. I was like, I'm about to be adopted. (laughs) (laughs) But instantly, we we decided he was Cooper, not Ben's. What? Uh, Yeah. What does that mean? We decided. Like, you're not Ben's. Yeah. The point Amina's trying to make right now in your grief, Tom, is uh, too much expository. That's what he's saying right now to you. Well, no, it's not even that. It's just the idea that you could just say, mm, no, I don't like that name. Oh, we did that. Everybody does really? that. You want to put your little spin oh, on yeah. it. Yeah, you put your little spin on like it. It's just like a family member. You just rename it as <laughs> willy-nilly. Yeah. All right. Uh, yep. And that he was more like a shepherd mix, not a border collie. I don't think that's how you – you spelled shepherd like Tommy Shepherd. Jesus, I need an editor. Shep heard. <laughs> oh, well, no matter. We wanted him anyway. <laughs> As Allison filled out the forms to take him home, I took him on a walk through Petco. I mean, by the way, this is more confirmation of uh, Ethan's life either mirrors Tom's in such a just way it's almost creepy or I'm a very uncreative liar. Yeah. The thing you once the said. The talented Mr. Ripley I, over here. <laughs> <laughs> where my wife and I adopted a border collie mix at a shelter, you know, as well. If you just want yeah. to add to the list. Yep, yep. Thank your, you. Your wife, Thank your you, wife whose name is what? <laughs> Allie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And what is her profession? <laughs> Teacher. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, walk through Petco, our first thousand. By the way, I have, I have Tom walking happily and the dog walking past every other dog with a middle finger up. Like, yeah, <laughs> about this bitch. Don't call me Ben's no more. I don't answer to that. <laughs> well, it turns out he wasn't housebroken either. He took a dump right there on the white tile floor. Clean up on aisle seven of the Petco loudspeaker. Yes, Allison, that's ours. Ben's border collie housebroken. He was none of those things. He meant everything to us and the girls. We're going to miss him. Keep thinking about Beamer, Ben's, or Bentley whenever he says it. We're going to miss him. We already do. The best dog, Weathersfield, Miami, Charlotte, now off to the Rainbow Bridge. Love you, bud. And then Mo Daco says, damn, man, I'm really sorry to hear about Coop. <laughs> all our colleagues. <laughs> Thank you, I mean, Baxter with the hearts. Sarah Spain, 
I'm so sorry, Tom. Can you not just read every con? This is a very, I guess, Mike I Ryan. guess you know what? I leave myself open to criticism if I put it out Mike there. Mike Ryan. Which- ah, man, I'm so sorry. Tacos. <laughs> Zach Cooper was a great dog. Fuck you know that. Zach has met him, and and seriously, it's more than what you've said about him. I love Ben, ben Aronson. It's one of those like, bro, I'm so bro, sorry. I'm so sorry. Could imagine losing Bella. Yeah, it's almost like wouldn't happen to me. Dave DeFore. <laughs> My dog's gonna live forever. <laughs> sorry for your loss, buddy. All right, let's roast Tom some more in his grief. Tom also on the gram putting up pictures that seem more fit for a dating profile Absolutely. than for celebrating his dog, Absolutely. where he's shirtless on the beach with the fishing rod. Oh, come on. Carly Kleinman says, beautifully written. Yeah. He will be missed. What's that beautifully written? At a typo, okay? That's like somebody saying about me, you're so quiet, so stoic, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I know Buster Rhymes was showing around the Rainbow Bridge area. I hear he has good intel. Shouts to Steph. Yeah, where all the sunny spots, green grass, and good snacks are. You won't get it, I mean. You don't get it. The Rainbow Bridge. Come on, you don't get oh, it. Oh, okay. Coach David Thorpe, here we go. We feel your pain. I still talk to our beloved Spalding when I'm alone at home sometimes. And look at his pics of him and our kids often. You will too. Forever. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. CJYG lost my dog earlier this year. No other words can describe it besides saying it just flat out sucks. Remember all the walks, cuddles, and kisses you shared and the time you and your family had with him? Yeah. Praying that yeah. you, your wife, and most importantly, your daughters find peace in the coming days. Find peace in the coming days. I guarantee you, your kids are going to be watching cartoons Saturday. Not a thought in the world towards that dog. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I'm sad. I miss Coop. You want ice cream? Yeah, ice cream. Let's go. <laughs> I hate you man so we don't have to do a whole reading of the Instagram but I will say I will say Amin will appreciate this next anecdote here in this whole sequence of events as I'm there grieving with Cooper in his last moments remember they gave me five to ten minutes of personal time to just spend it with my dog the last moments the door opens and it's this secretary at the animal hospital. And she says, are you going to be paying for with credit card? <laughs> I assume this is credit card. <clears throat> What's this? Yeah, that's for the urn. Don't need it. We're scattering the ashes. Yes. So we were informed. However, we must, of course, transmit the remains to you in a receptacle. This is $180. It is our most modestly priced receptacle. Uh, well, can oh, you just, $180? Uh, they range up to $3,000. Uh, we're, uh... <clears throat> can't we just rent it from you? Yeah. So this is a mortuary, not a rental house. We're scattering the fucking ashes. But just because we're bereaved doesn't make us sad! Sir, please lower your voices. Man, don't you have, you know, something uh, else we can put them in? You know, that is our most modestly priced receptacle. God damn it! Is there a Ralph's around here? Are you nuts? This is a business. I just got five to ten minutes here, alone time. I was promised five to ten minutes of alone time, and here you are asking me, like, cash or credit? Hey, man. Did they cremate the dog, or what do they do after? What do they do with the remains? You have options. You can either do a private cremation where they cremate your own your dog or you do a, a group cremation where they do a <laughs> <laughs> just 
shovel them in. Where you die with your dog. They shovel no. like, like your dog's no, a, no, an, they, an Egyptian pharaoh. No, 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 no. It's, it's like just like a dumpster of dead dogs. And like the, the dump truck goes. And they just rumble their way down into an open flame. <laughs> so then I didn't check that one off. Because they, they say they do a group cremation and then they spread the ashes at this like pet cemetery in in belmont north carolina anyway would you go for or you can bring or you can take the dog home would you go and bury him or her yourself so i went for the private cremation so that i can take the ashes home and and hang it in a special place in in our house oh my god if you're not a dog owner this seems outrageous is to have the ashes of your of your loved one in the house you're just gonna Keep it there. That's so. I thought you were gonna go to like his favorite like park or something and spread it there. I've never been a fan of the whole ashes thing. Not how I want to go out. You know. You didn't. You didn't want to go for the taxidermy. Was that an option? Ooh. Yeah, man. <laughs> that was not an option. Although, although I, maybe if I get further out of the the city, maybe the taxidermy option arises in, as we get further and further out of uh, the city proper. You can remember him as you always knew. What do you think of the, I believe it's Barbara Streisand who just keeps cloning her dogs. Would you have done that? Cloning? Wait, what? You didn't hear about this? No. No. feel very Jay Leno. Like, you, you, you heard about this? You heard about this? <laughs> you look like Jay Leno. <laughs> A little bit. I got that. I got that big, that big moon face is what I got. So Barbara Streisand, obviously more money than God or goddess. Uh, she just keeps running it back. She just keeps cloning her little uh, poodle-type dog, and I think she might be on the third version by now. And that's just how she does it. Wait, I'm sorry. Why? I didn't know we, we we can scientifically do that. Yeah, man. Yes. Remember Dolly? You got enough money. Dolly the sheep. Remember that? Yeah, but I just I, it kind of I it kind of faded. Thought that was a one-off. You thought it was like, all right, guys, we did it. Yeah, I thought it was a one-off. I thought like science, the entire, like we figured out how to clone a sheep. And then, you know what? Maybe this is ethically wrong. I don't know if we should be doing this. It's a it's a Pandora's box. Maybe we should shut this shit down. Is this the same process they use to make synthetic meat? You guys heard about this? I don't know any relation, but it, the, there was even an article in the New York Times by Barbara Streisand called uh, Why I Cloned My Dog. Does the dog act the same? Yeah, I think there there aren't a whole lot of differences. I mean, you have twins, right? Are they are they no? They're not identical. They, they are identical, okay. but they don't behave the same. So I'm right. Mm. So so okay. So then, why would you clone the dog if the dog is going to act different every single time? I'm assuming you, you you like the dog for its personality, not for its looks. Maybe Barbara Streisand is just really mm. really superficial. She just likes the way the dog looks, or or she just thinks uh, she believes more in nature than nurture. I mean, you're you're given the same nurture pretty much anyway, so you're going to get. You're going to get close to it. But she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. She wrote an op-ed in the New York Times in 2018 called Why I Cloned My Dog, uh, where she gets deeper into this whole thing. I would run it back. I would just go with auto-clones. I brought it up to my wife before, and she says no. She thinks it violates the spirit. What if the next auto is just like a complete dick? He, would, he wouldn't be. I feel, you know. Why not? You've got the same source material. You've got the same clay you're working with. No, but like there's no the memories aren't the same. Well, that's what she says. She says the memories aren't the same. It's not. Yeah, him. like not, do not your memories, his memories, like his okay. memory. Like he doesn't know. Yeah, but you could just you could give him a nice. Uh, you know, certain it, dogs, it, it, I mean, have certain dispositions, right? You're not. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's not like an iCloud backup that you're just like you got a new phone and then you just transfer everything over. Next on Westworld. Yeah, but if you present me with the option, and I. 
I'm a rich guy. You know, my, my sub stack has just gone crazy. And <laughs> I either get a random dog from the shelter or I have good reason to think that it's going to be a lot like the dog that I know and love. I like going with the second option. I've never even heard of this dog breed that Streisand has. Coton de Tulier or whatever. Like, what is that? God, rich people. So I will say this. The Norm McDonald news. That's some sad stuff. I was really upset yesterday and the day before because we knew where this was headed. But I spent the past two days grieving while just watching incessant Norm Macdonald clips. Oh, I mean, the guy was especially in dark times and like in finding the humor in really dark moments. There's no one better. I mean, Ethan, can you think of a comedian that will turn make you laugh about something super dark? And not in like a, an evil way, but more just pointing fun at how he was literally making jokes about how dumb it is to say someone died. They lost their battle due to cancer. They battled cancer and then at the end they lost their battle. And he had a whole bit about that while likely battling cancer himself he was pointing fun at the entire how we talk about the condition of cancer as if there's a there's a a battle between evil and good and when we describe it as losing a battle to cancer we're essentially saying everyone is dying cowardly because they let cancer win his brain just operated different and he had this great ability to almost be on the outside of everything as an observer and i always loved him but you almost didn't know that you didn't know the degree to which everybody else shared that sentiment until after this, because it's not like he ever after Saturday Night Live became some huge professional success. Um, that's what's so strange about his trajectory. And I think he even wrote about that in a book about how the majority of people who know him know that from that brief time in his life as a young man. And when he's in a restaurant, that's what they're going to bring up. And it was taken from him. He was fired from SNL because the executive was friends with OJ Simpson and didn't like uh, Norm Macdonald taking all these shots at OJ around that particular time. So uh, it's nice to see the outpouring. I love this comedy. I love the shaggy dogtail jokes. I love the fucked up places that he tended to take his humor. And he, he was just the epitome of a comics comic, it seems, where as much as he was beloved by people like ourselves, the people in the comedy world loved him even more. So uh really unfortunate and sad that he's no longer with us but also just nice to see it's it's nice to know that somebody of such a high quality is so well received and so broadly i mean have you seen the melrose place actress actor who was on with conan that bit that he did the segment he did when he was a guest on conan courtney thorne smith oh yeah norm is a, a guest on conan andy richter's on the other side and uh, this actress comes out and she's um, she's promoting her movie, I think, with Carrot Top. And as soon as Norm MacDonald finds out that she's promoting a movie that she did with Carrot Top, he just starts going into his bit. Like he just he just decides to roast her right there. And it's cringeworthy. He wasn't roasting her so much as the idea of, of doing a movie with Carrot Top. And it is one of the most funniest six minutes or whatever of of spontaneous spontaneous comedy is just like he obviously i don't think he knew this going into the segment that she was promoting this movie he just met her at the time um and it's just gold it's amazing um 
I won't, I won't spoil the punchline, but when he delivers this extemporaneously, it's just like unbelievable. So the thing about Norm though, that I really, I think more than any other comedian I've, I've watched is I think he enjoys telling the joke more than anyone I've seen. Like he has this little half smile sneer when he de- yeah when he delivers the punchline and he's staring at you like as he's delivering it because he knows it is such gold what he is just dropping right there the moth joke if you haven't watched the norm mcdonald's moth joke that he does on conan o'brien it's just all he has he has such a joy for telling the joke one i always think about is the the bob saget roast Yes. We just sat there. You read the paper the whole time. <laughs> it was like 1920s well, humor where he was just delivering the, the worst jokes possible, oh, lamest yeah. jokes possible. But it was so good. But it was a but bit. It was, so it was a bit that I think the first couple people were like, that's a terrible joke. And he's just nodding along, like continuing to deliver these lines after line. That's what was so curious about him is that he almost seemed to stand apart from his generation and his friends were often these old men. He had a weird resonance with old men where Bob Euchre was one of his best friends. And he's almost like how in The Shining, uh, you look and Jack is in that photograph. And maybe that's where he belonged, generationally speaking, in the 1920s or whenever that was. It almost seemed like he was a man outside time and yet hilarious. Just, I mean, there's nobody like him. Totally unique character. And I was going to say American life, but I guess he's... Canadian comedic life, whatever. Yeah. It's, I think, illustrative to use an Ethan word that he was fired from NBC for doing too many jokes about OJ because the the president of NBC was pals with OJ and wanted to keep his golf outings going. And then he was invited back onto SNL a year later to be the host. And his monologue during that was also gold. I mean, imagine getting fired and a year later brought back and becoming the host of SNL and given a platform like, hey, all right, here's the mic. Go say whatever you want. And he goes in. He goes in on SNL. He also did a Lou Gehrig joke, uh, ALS joke. He's like he, he did a bit where he was out there and this one hit obviously close to home, but he's in a Yankees uniform and he's like, yeah, um, some people say I might be the luckiest man alive, but that's bullshit. That's bullshit. I'm extremely unlucky. Think about it. I have been diagnosed with a disease that is so rare that I am the one who's named after it. I'm the only person who has this disease and it's a fatal disease. Like I am not the luckiest man alive. And he just had a way of poking humor at the the saddest or darkest times. And the fact that he did bits about cancer um, while he was dying of cancer was remarkable and i don't Can think I ask a morbid norm mcdonald chadwick boseman both these guys had cancer lived with cancer and eventually passed away from cancer we didn't find out until after they died hmm. if you had cancer would you keep it a secret or would you come out and, and acknowledge that you had it oh you gotta you gotta acknowledge and talk about it I, i'm not a stoic i like thinking things through. It's so crazy that we're talking about this because right before this, I just interviewed Jonathan Jarks, uh, who has cancer, a rare form of cancer. Uh, He said after the pod that it's one in 25 million uh, people get it. So how do you even see that coming? And no family history, nothing like it. He wrote really well about it at The Ringer. I think he's going to write more about it. But 
I look to how he's doing it and how he's communicating and think to myself, I doubt I would be that profound about it, but it at least would be a value perhaps one could provide just going through it, making people feel less alone about it. That's how I'd process it. I don't think I could just hold it in. It's just not something that would seem natural to me. I don't think I would keep it private because I think, I don't know, reading all, like, like reading Twitter, just scrolling through Twitter and just seeing nonstop norm jokes and how much joy that seemed to be bringing this echo chamber of Twitter. And I, I get it that it's not representative of society. And we've talked about that. And there's actually more I want to talk about that. But anyway, why couldn't we have done that when he was alive so you could see it? Like is that maybe that's too ego stroking to like want pe- want to see people hold you in such high regard and bring joy to the masses? Like it, if you're not doing stand up comedian to make people laugh, then I, I guess it's cathartic to say these jokes and it's maybe therapy on on stage. But like I would imagine that uh, he probably thought about this as whether I want to make it public. And there was part of me that just said, "Man, wouldn't it be cool for Norm to see this before he went?" I think about when I think about both him and Chadwick Boseman and the decision behind it. I think about how I I can only imagine that as you're dealing with this, there's a part of you that just wants some parts of your day to just be some normal shit. Yeah. Let me go. Let me go to the grocery store. Let me get some stuff. Oh, I loved you in Black Panther. Cool. Sign an autograph. Take a picture. Keep it moving. And I think, um, revealing this devastating disease that you have robs you of those moments of normalcy. And and by the way, like I said, normalcy even within the context of huge yeah. celebrity, where wherever you go, people go and take pictures and stuff. Just now it's it's nonstop everyone talking about how's it going? How's the treatment? Are you feeling better? Are you feeling worse? You'll get through this and all, and all that stuff. And it's like, that's got to be exhausting. It's a scale problem. It's like you, you want it from a few people. You don't necessarily want to keep having right. the same conversation. From strangers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I think it's a different proposition with celebrities. I was just thinking idly, uh, taking it away from the heavier subjects that I look at Norm MacDonald as just one of the naturally funniest people of his generation Though it overlaps with Dave Chappelle, who maybe is the next guy in that procession. And now I think of how insane it is that Amin is friends with the guy that I would regard as the guy right now, the funniest guy, in a way that is very different from Norm MacDonald, but reminds me of it in this dude's just got a form of genius. Um, And that's Schultz. I think Schultz is that guy right now. Oh, I thought you were talking about Maze. (laughs) <laughs> that was, was right for a joke there oh i thought you were talking about uh marcus yeah. thompson yeah yeah would you ever do you ever think about that now i mean that that uh, i'm i'm friends with a guy who's the funniest guy in america oh no i mean like i think about it in the same way that i think about like there's a part of me that still it still hasn't landed that like j cole is one of the biggest musical acts in the world like it, it's still there is a surrealness to that like no like that's just jermaine right it's same thing with schultz that's just schultz like he's challenging jay williams to one-on-one <laughs> and getting the ball thrown off his like I, I think about that stuff i think about it's not nah not really I, you know i think it to me it hit home but, but you wouldn't you wouldn't disagree with the assessment though no idea yeah, but i've always thought he was funny to yeah. me i don't think he's funnier now than he was six years ago to me 
I, you know, his his topics and his content have changed. Like what he's talking about has changed, uh, from from the standpoint of his stand up, right? But at the end of the day, like for me, it's like, oh, he was always this funny. It's just now people, I guess, are starting to figure it out. And it, it didn't hit me how many until uh, when they come. They came to Arizona. They came to Tempe, and uh, went to the Airbnb they were at, and it was like a, literally like a house on Camelback Mountain. I was like, "This is really big and nice, man!" Like, what the hell? So it was like, "Hey, let, <laughs> I didn't think you were that good? good." No, but I was just like, "All right." So it was like, "What do you want to do for brunch?" I'm like, "Oh, there's a spot called such and such over here. It's got DJ, whatever." But like, sometimes the wait's crazy. Let's go around 1130 or whatever. And so we get there, and there's a line around the block. And I'm like, gosh, well, let me look up something else. And his his guy, Dove, one of the guys that he works with, is like, hold on. Da, 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 da. Next thing you know, they're seating us. It's like 12 of us. It's not even like three or four. It's a lot of people. And they're seating us at this long table. And I'm like, how the hell we get seated? And he's like, yeah, the, the manager's a big fan. And I'm like, the manager knows who Andrew Schultz is? Like, that was my... I was like, what? <laughs> well, he's not household name now, but he's just one of those guys where it's just going in a particular direction. And it might have been de- his arrival might have been delayed by the COVID, but I've just never seen crowd oh, no. work like that. Oh, no, I think the, the COVID helped. Yeah, because he did those videos. Yeah, he kind of he used it right. That was the transcendent moment right there. Like like the, his first kind of like breakthrough to the next level was when he went on Rogan and said Netflix is bullshit and I'm going direct to consumer mm-hmm. like all these people are waiting for Netflix or Comedy Central to give them a special and, and he was talking about this years ago I was like I'm just gonna go I, I know who my fans are I see them click on my YouTube stuff like why why am I waiting for one of these gatekeepers to to give me that blessing and so he went on Rogan and he talked about that and then the New York Times wrote about that that was the first big, like, Andrew Schultz boost. But then the second big one was, COVID, like, him doing those those videos, turn your phone sideways. And, and and it's crazy to the point where you see how many people started mimicking it from different languages and different cultures across the world. It was like the watching The Office in Hindi, right? Like, you see someone say, uh, you know, like, in, in uh, a Vietnamese talking about turn your phone sideways. Let me show you something. Like, oh, my God. But, it, like, that was... Man, I, I think he's one of those people where, like, with COVID help, not COVID itself, but, like, the pandemic, it, it allowed him a stage and an audience to talk about this stuff. And yet, I don't know what would make him necessarily household name. Somebody, my, my mom knows who Dave Chappelle is, right? My mom doesn't know who Andrew Schultz is. Maybe that's just a matter of time, right? And uh, how long you're around in the culture and... Also, maybe we just don't make comedy stars like that anymore. Comedy, it's so strange. There's so few young guys really break in in a huge way. I, but I people know. who don't listen, who don't who haven't heard Schultz or seen him, like I think the thing you got to point out, Ethan, is that his comedy is a throwback to an era. like in a time where modern Don all Rickles. comedians seem to seem to be walking on eggshells. Yeah, in comedy, he dives headfirst into it. Like his his topics, the jokes he makes, stuff that you know, quote unquote, like it's stuff that if you if you tweeted that stuff on Twitter, the Twitter people would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this homophobe, uh, you know, anti semite. Basically, he's like Ethan, but funny. 
<laughs> what branding? Ethan, are you an anti-Semite? I was just going to say, <laughs> Ethan just gave you a layup on, hey, I mean, is it weird having such famous friends? Like he was stroking your <laughs> ego and then you just threw it back at him being like. He's, it's the scorpion and the frog. It's that <laughs> terrible again and again. Thank me. Thank me. Thank I, I would definitely go look on YouTube for put in Andrew Schultz and crowd work. Uh, I think crowd work genius never seen somebody that talented at it and he's got that new york energy that kind of rapid fire and uh it's that's that is that's where i sort of think about the rickles comparison too to what you're saying of of being that out of bounds with it but nobody really tries to cancel him he's too funny i not that i know of anyway i haven't seen any kind of issues for him at least i wonder is is can't is part of canceling someone more about it's opportunistic the brand that you're yes taking down with him so if he's only going direct to consumer yes there's no pleasure in taking down andrew schultz as much as it is like if he did an hbo special or had an hbo show well his, he had a net like the turn your phone sideways thing became a netflix special which is yeah trust me a, a, a source of great humor I'm like, oh shit! Oh, now you're doing Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So, but again, but 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 you're you're right, Tom. He he derives his power and his influence, if you will, from the fact that I don't. It's it's the Gilbert Arenas thing. You can't cancel Gilbert Arenas. He has no sponsor or no no league or anything that he has to worry about. So in the same way, like yeah, you can't cancel something that is not beholden to the institutions. That you traditionally pressure when you don't like something. Yeah, you can try, but it it's often an opportunistic attack, and they'll go for they'll go for your paymaster, right? And that's the idea of it, and that's where to apply the pressure. I'm I'm sure that there subscribe are to my Substack. I'm Ethan Strauss. Uh, I don't have well, any more I paymasters. Worry, I, worry, I, I, I worry about it. Like if I if I go too much on this tack of hey folks, you can't touch me. Nothing you can do. They might get creative, right? So I don't want to get too arrogant about it um, <laughs> and say that. But there is the sense of liberation even, where yeah. But that's that's the, that's the whole that's the point of your of your uh, of your what do you call it Substack? Yeah, not the Substack. Your 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 career turn. Your transition, your career yeah. turn, right? Yeah. Like the idea that like if I write stuff that people like and respect and most importantly will support, then why am I going to worry about the 2,000 people or whatever it is on Twitter who are like this, da, 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 da. I think it's just an attempt to try to, how do I say this without sounding pretentious, but you, you just want to be true to yourself and just define yourself. And people are often... I'm talking about the royal you, but people are often trying to define you as this or that and categorize you into whatever thing, especially stigmatized thing that they want you to be to dismiss you. And I think it, it just so appeals to me that you can just keep talking. You can just keep talking, talk past them, find your own audience. Your audience knows what you are and all of your flaws sometimes, and that's fine. They can deal with that. And you're just a person to them because they've seen enough of you. And that to me is so appealing versus this constant fear that people are beset by of, oh, I'm so afraid that people are going to get the wrong idea about me if I say this or that. And it just gets boring, man. It just gets so boring. You just don't want to live like that. And when I see people trying to enforce those parameters, I often look at it as, that just looks very 2015 to me. I just think we're, we're off that. We're past that. 
I mean, I know we aren't, but it just feels like that's not what the future is. Uh, the future is is something else. Well, you wrote you wrote a story today about uh, your time as a as a beat writer for Golden State Warriors, and it's something you wrote about in your book about just like how much misery there is in that profession and in that industry and in that in in, in Golden State where you thought it was just everyone's dancing with rainbows and and butterflies and. It just isn't like that when you're at the top. Oh, I, I referenced you in the book. I, I referenced you talking about the heat, how you were f- – you were. F- <laughs> <laughs> well, this was pre-Andrew Schultz and J. Cole maybe. You you were referenced in the book as well, I believe, and you didn't like it. <laughs> did you name check him though? Was it a positive story? Oh, he I did. did. No. See, here's the thing. Instead of giving a story, a nice story where I get <laughs> name checked, what he does instead is he tells a story that I told him like, in co- like not incompetence, but like background anonymous sourcing, whatever. But he, like he tells it in such a way where it's so obvious who the source is. Don't listen, future sources of mine. Do not listen to Amin. You will be protected impeccably. <laughs> it's the only part. It's the only part where like, the anonymous source is very obvious who it is. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> One could even say my anonymous source hated hard. On the individual he spoke of. Yeah, exactly. It was something like that. <laughs> His name um, is, let's just call him Armand uh, Esiason. <laughs> yes. What he, say, what he says, uh, oh, uh, when I asked him about whether he liked the moves that the Warriors have made, my source just said, phobe. <laughs> <laughs> and he could not ascertain that it got a <laughs> Returning it to the subject at hand, I was fascinated by Tom being honest that he was fooled by the veneer that the heat had in that era because it would have made sense for them to have a strong was it a spree decor or a sense of oneness because oh, they were uh, so hated from, <laughs> they were so hated from the outside <laughs> they were so hated from the outside but but no and i think for whatever reason to keep returning to that concept of misery it's not because i'm miserable it's more that I'm fascinated by – I'm just fascinated by it. Of How do you maintain happiness in your job? Uh, why doesn't it happen when you would think because these are the most accomplished people on earth that they would they would feel good, but it doesn't. Right. It, it is very – I've known people who are at the top of their profession who are pretty happy, but it is rare. It, it's it's quite rare. You know who seems to be the happiest and maybe I'm wrong? Ethan, do you think Clay Thompson is one of the happiest NBA players or no? I don't know. I want a full circle. Not now. Not now, but pre 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 Achilles and ACL. Yeah, I think pre all of that, he definitely had the right attitude. But there does come a time in life where I think Clay Thompson was almost his avatar for happiness because he was almost like a James Bond combined with Keanu Reeves of just doing whatever fun thing there was to do that day and really being into it. But I think in life, eventually, you do have to grow up. I'm not saying that you know, he was being immature. God, yeah, that's what Kevin Durant told me. You know, he was right. He was right. Ethan Strauss says on the Haber show that Clay Thompson (laughs) is a child. Grow up. Is it infant? Grow up. Grow up. (laughs) But I do think that you can't be that guy forever, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, You can present the image of it, but eventually, in order to kind of have a sustainable happiness, generally you have to settle down in most cases. I read the feedback. That I'm reading your Substack right now. Oh, here oh, we go. I mean, here comes expository. I mean, reading the reading the comments. No, but I like it though. 
the guy says, just read your piece on your new endeavor. Congrats and best of luck. It's really, really crazy the timing of me reading it. Just last night while I was laying in my bed with my girl, I was telling her, quote, this game is rigged, referring to what reporting has become. Working sources for months on end, doing honest, diligent reporting work during the process, only see folks get handed layups and get praised for it. I started trying to figure out how, then started noticing who is rep by who and connecting all the dots. Wild world out here, LOL. But hey, it is what it is. That's life. Did you? I hope. Did you write back, Ethan? Did you say, "Hey, man, like that's because what you're looking at as reporting isn't reporting. It's glorified <laughs> press releases. These are press releases. Someone got traded. Someone got signed. Someone got hurt. It's reverse press release, right? This guy breaks some news. I would never say this because this guy, this guy has successfully broken some news, and I could never do that. So I, far be it for me. Actual far news? be it for me. Yeah. Actual. Hold on. Actual yeah. news or, or transactions? Well, I mean, transactions is actual news. That's not news. That's not news. What's That's a news? Press What's news? What's news? We, New, we, news. News is and, and all right. So you want me to say something nice, Tom? News is hey, when Steph Curry went to meet with Nike, they fucked up the presentation. That's news. Mm. Because if you don't write that, Ethan, we never find that out. If you don't write that story, we never find that out. When uh, Wickersham, was it Seth Wickersham or Don Vanatta wrote the story that, hey, Tom Brady and and, uh, and Belichick, they don't really like each other. That's news because we were all like, what? Wait, since when? And this is when they were still there. That's news. Uh, so-and-so got traded to the Lakers for this and that. Like, who can, I would have, like, I, I always go back to, if you didn't tell us, we would have found out from the press release. And if there were no press releases, we would have found out on the day of the first day of the season. It's like, hey, when did Russell Westbrook get, get on the Lakers? You know I'm on your side of this. You know I'm on your side of this. I'm trying to be nice, but you know I'm on your side because there is something, I, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, I'm very sensitive to critiquing the newsbreakers because I can't do what they do. I can't. I, I know that they can't. It's not just a matter of, oh, my morality. No, I do not have the skill set to do what they do. And the marketplace is spoken. They make the most money of anybody in NBA media. So that's the marketplace saying this is valuable. You know what they are? What? They're corn syrup. It's in everything. But do you give a shit which farm that corn came from? Mm. It's interesting. It's corn. It's a commodity. It's pork. I mean, I was just looking forward to you doing what Ethan just did, but in Stephen A. Smith's voice. He's like, <laughs> now let me tell you something about newsbreakers. <laughs> I love them. I love Mark Stein. Mark love Stein. Mark Stein. <laughs> I, I love, I love the, like, I love them as people. Yeah. Like if I had a friend who was a corn farmer. That's a great question. You, know you, you know what? That's a question I would want to see the answer to uh, for many of these guys because they might have the answer and women. Uh, they might have the answer to it. If you go, hey, Woj, hey, Stein, what do you think the value is that you provide? What are you doing? They might have an answer to it. I, I would be curious to hear the answer. They have an answer to it, but they have the answer in the same way that a corn farmer would have an answer to that question. What I do is pivotal. Country needs corn. It needs corn on the cob. It needs corn in in frozen packets. It needs uh, high uh, uh, high fructose corn syrup. It needs all these things. It needs me. But like, is my individual corn farm like how many farmers are like? Yeah, my farm is just one of thousands that do this. So no, they think no, no. This is important. I need this. I I deserve like because it's such an important thing that the world needs. 
I deserve to be properly compensated for that. Everyone always thinks that the job they do is super important and valuable. No one's ever going to say, ah. All right. So let's say, let's say Tiger Woods, like let's say Tiger Woods crashes his car and someone, yep. a newsbreaker breaks that news. Mm-hmm. That eventually is going to get out. No, no, that's different. It, it might not get out. How- it might not get out. Dude, you want you want to talk about how many things have happened in Miami that the fixer got to first? Okay, mm. fair. And didn't yeah. get out. Yeah. My thing is, I'm talking about transactions. The thirst for transactions. Can we get derailed on the Tiger Woods thing? Because that always bothered me. I, I I have this thing where I often feel as though the premise everybody is operating under is not a premise I understand. And I'm not trying to be a contrarian, but I just legitimately feel as though the powers that be said. Simon says everybody jump and everybody goes, well, of course, it's the time to jump. Got to jump. I don't know why we all reacted that way of, oh, my God, Tiger, you cheated on your wife, Tiger Oh, yeah, this Woods? is one of your old – yeah, yeah. You, you, you cheated? I, you're a road-bound billionaire and you cheated on your wife? You need to apologize to all of us. You need to go on TV and apologize to us because we're very sad now. And you lied to us, Tiger. You lied. And, you know, when I saw those ads you were doing and it felt as though you turned to the camera right there and said, bye, Buick, because I'm having sex with only my wife. And now I just feel like you've lied to us and we need to be whole again. And this is just so terrible. I I just everybody was operating as though that was the premise. And I'm watching and I'm going, what are you? I hadn't even been around sports much in person, but I was going, first of all, everybody. You would gamble on this being the case. You would gamble on this happening, that this was what was happening in his life, if you knew anything, if you knew anything about sports. And then second of all, how is it our business? If you're a star in the public eye, whether that's in music, I mean, maybe it's different if you're a rock and roll star or what have you. Like people might have different assumptions about your fidelity when you're when you're in that position versus sports. I don't think if you polled America or golf fans, is... Tiger Woods faithful to his wife. You might think the answer is an obvious no. Come on, like it's come on. He's a billionaire, road traveling superstar who's got um. Right, right, right. I think you would say no. He's not. Come on. But I think majority of Americans are watching Tiger Woods as this Stanford graduate who uh, is a robot. And is so good at golf. And he's also representing a certain kind of person, a khaki wearing person with money that I think a lot of his audience were hoping that he he makes them feel comfortable. He makes Mm. them feel comfortable. And that act shatters the illusion that, yeah, of the comfort. It's like, oh my God, you're an athlete. Ah. Just like the rest of them. How, how many? How many? Like how many? Like fifty-five-year-old, long-time married men came home after that news and was like, "Yeah, I can't believe that Tiger. What oh, a terrible geez. guy. Jeez, yeah. I would never. I would I never would do. Never, I would never, never do, do something it. like that. Yeah, Tiger down with Tiger. Yeah. Everybody just was operating under the premise that it was our business, and it's not. It's not our business, and I'm not saying that. It's a good thing to do in one's marriage. It obviously didn't work out in that guy's marriage, but that's just not that that's not relevant to Tiger Woods as a golfer. That that just completely crazy premise. And one of the first instances, one of the first social media outrages 
uh, was that Tiger Woods thing where I was looking at it and going, yeah, I don't accept the premise. I don't accept the premise that this is so horrible and we need Tiger. So you were saying, yeah, and? (laughs) And that we need him to apologize to us. Yes, and? (laughs) Yes, and? Going back to that, like that is an example of, I, I agree with you, Ethan, about like, should that have been news? Right? Maybe that is an invasion of privacy. But the idea there is if it's not reported, we really don't know what happened. We really just say, oh, man, he just got in a car wreck and that was it. Um, to me, that's reported. That is newsworthy, right? My, my gripe has always been that we put so much value on by the minute or by the second, who tweeted first that uh, uh, Thomas Sadaransky is part of that sign-and-trade for DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> when it doesn't to go fucking matter. It doesn't matter. It is, a, it is a useless piece of information. You know how I know it's useless? Because, like I said, because on opening night, when I see him in the Spurs jersey, I'm like, ah, there it is. Like, these things are all documented, and they're all set to be revealed. It would be like... Um, uh, uh, saying that, hey, you know, uh, who shot Jr. Like before the episode aired. If you don't tell us, if you don't break that news to us. Guess what? We watch the episode. We find out who shot Jr. So you think it's not news if someone on election night breaks that the polls are in in this critical state? No, because it's not actionable. You know, think about it this way: If I were the president of a mean media group right and we are a blockbuster you know we are espn fox yahoo rival right i would literally devote zero resources to news breaking because nobody owns the news not uh, not transactional news nobody owns the uh, who hey who who broke the news that uh westbrook got traded to the lakers i'm sorry to my friend who broke it that i don't remember uh his or her name, but no, no, yeah, yeah, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so if Westbrook gets traded. Someone gets to do their Twitter victory lap, yes. But then the rest of us are all breaking down the actual transaction. Okay, so today or yesterday, John Wall, John Wall is being reported by ESPN's Tim McMahon, Ban McMahon, Ban McMahon, bad as a dude, and all that. That is actually news because we wouldn't have known that John Wall has requested a trade or want, is not going to report to Houston Rockets camp. Yes, or not doesn't want to doesn't want to play. He, his days as a yes. Houston Rocket player are over. Yes, that's news because the, these are th- yes these are things that a not only are they of a mind state rather than a transaction, but also things could change, right? Things could change. He could change his mind. It's like, you know, when you see it, whoever is first to report that Magic Johnson has HIV. Yeah, that's news. That's news. Even if we're going to find out about it later on, uh, that's, that's just a big earth shaking or shattering. I think a means point is that it's like reporting that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. I feel yeah. well. I, I I feel. I think a lot of people think about this and wonder why so much emphasis on beating the press release by fifteen minutes. Um, and I've thought about it to a certain extent, but at a certain point, I just stopped thinking about it. I'm so blessed that I was so bad at it. I feel like <laughs> if I was if I was ten or you'd be you'd be hooked. Yeah, if, if you were good at it, you'd be hooked. Or just like the worst hell, the worst fate would be just a little bit better at it. Because then I would keep trying, you know, and deal with all that 
all that that comes with it where people aren't calling you back and you feel like you need to nag them and then your relationships start becoming very transactional very like hey buddy you know i i actually called a friend of mine yesterday because he'd been a source on uh something i wrote and i i called him up because i i started to realize that a lot of my conversations these days as i'm collecting things for my sub stack uh it's friends in the industry and i'm hitting them up for information and i was thinking i gotta just call my friend to call my friend because <laughs> otherwise this is going to my be my cover's blown this, yeah this is going to be what i am now it's like hey kids good kids good yeah yeah kids are good we uh Went to Home Depot yesterday. We uh, we went out to lunch. It was good. So what's up, Ethan? Ethan, um, what's an what's an aimless die book? The book. How do you pronounce that? And what is it? It's a Yiddish term. I think it means uh, uh, some sort of uh, disembodied spirit. Uh, would be the term. Yeah. Ethan sometimes scares me with the vocabulary that there are words that I don't know and I feel very small and stupid. But then. You know, it ultimately comes back to, oh, it's a Yiddish word. I'm like, oh. You know what's <laughs> annoying about Ethan is I, th- I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on the English language. And then he starts throwing in phrases from other languages. I'm like, man. Spree <laughs> decor. <laughs> I've got the dictionary right here and it's a, it's an English oh, dictionary. I, now I got to go get other dictionaries of other languages. Deus ex machina. <laughs> Nom de guerre. Or as I like to, deus ex machina. That's what Je ne sais quoi. Ennui. What I like about English is that it's this big car crash pileup of other languages that's very inefficient. We're way less efficient than Spanish. It's easier to um, learn Spanish, but Spanish no, has fewer no. Spanish has fewer words. You got this wrong, buddy. The wow. inefficiency of English being a mashup of Germanic and Romance and Greek, uh, all of that, buddy. It makes buddy, the you got gram- this so wrong. Okay, you, make, you got this so know. wrong. What is it? The quality of English that makes it the most spoken, widely spoken language. Obviously, Mandarin is the most spoken language, but that's very concentrated who speaks that, right? But in terms of widely spoken language across the world is because much like basketball, English is a language that is easy to learn, difficult to master. Mm. It is very easy to learn working, working English to get you by. There are people who live in this country 50, 60 years who grammatically speaking, do not speak proper English, but they are able to be functional and go through their days without people even batting an eye. Why? Because it is an easy language to pick up. It's hard to master, though, to do everything right. Disagree. And, and that's, the, that's the difference between English and every other language, where other languages, if you do not follow the grammatical rules or whatever, it just a lot of times can come out sounding like gibberish. I disagree. I think the reason it's not because it's easy. I think it's because it's popular. So, like, I think Hollywood and the fact that it was no, sure, this sure, language that sure. everyone was like, "Oh, I'm watching this movie and watching Star Wars or watching the Lakers," and so well, I'm going to learn this language just by virtue of I, I, this is Hollywood. I don't think it's a matter of simplicity or, or easy to learn. I think it's just that it's no, no, no. It's the exporting of Americana definitely is a, a huge driver of that. I'm not. I'm not saying it's the only reason. I, I agree with you, and I think that we're talking about the same thing because the reason why English is easy to learn but impossible to master is because it's got such grammatical mashup to it because it's got languages that didn't have a whole lot to do with one another structurally rammed into one another, and, and that creates that dynamic. But it also means that it just has more words than other languages have. Um, so there's just more to draw from uh, as a writer. 
And, and I like thinking about these things. I think I mentioned in another article, I've always been fascinated by how Mustafa uh, Kemal Ataturk uh, just changed <laughs> Turkish one day, just purged like yeah. two thirds of the words. Yeah. Well, we're going to use uh, uh, English characters, Roman uh, Latin characters yeah. instead of uh, it, Arabic. And we're just getting rid of the Arabic words. We're getting rid of the Persian words to the point where also – I'm naming myself Ataturk. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm your daddy. <laughs> that was a period of time and it created a lot of awful things. Uh, but for whatever reason, that period in human history was one where Top Dog had insane amounts of power. That period of top down, one CEO totalitarianism where one guy could say, guess what? Uh, we are all speaking a different language now. Uh, catch up. Catch up, everybody. That's how it's going. But it, uh, the good old days, the good old days, but it worked. I mean, they had one summer, they brought the teachers to uh, uh, summer camps, had them learn how to do it. And now Turkish people, and I'm not Turkish, but this is what I read. If you look at a primary source document from over a hundred years ago, you can't read it. Uh, that's like, think about that. Think about that in our context. If you could not read something in English from over a hundred years ago, but he just changed the language. And what it's meant is that Turkish, I guess, is so much easier to learn because he he kind of took he he uh, he reduced its complexity. The things I like about English, he looked at that with Turkish and said, "Don't like it. Let's make this thing. Uh, let's make this thing hum. Let's make it efficient." And so that was the result. But that, for whatever reason, I like thinking about those things with languages, even if I really only speak one. Well, it reminds me of the 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 stand up bit to go for full circle here is uh brian regan's moosin and oxen mm -hmm. plurals were hard too brian how do you make a word a plural oh, you, you put a s you, you put a s at the end of it when <sighs> on weekends and holidays no brian no let me show you so she asked this kid who knew everything erwin erwin Erwin, what is he plural for ox? Oxen. The farmer used his oxen. Brian, what? <laughs> Brian, what's the plural for box? Boxing. <laughs> I bought two boxing of donuts. <laughs> oh, no, Brian, no. Let's try another one. Erwin, what is he plural for goose? Geese. I saw a flock. Of geese. Brian, what? Brian, what's the plural for moose? Moosen! I saw a flock of moosen. There are many of them, many much moosen. Out in the woods, in the wood is, in the woods in. The meat's wanting the food, food is to eating, is it? The meat's wanting the food and in the wooding in, is it? In the food in the wooding, is it? Brian, Brian. You're an imbecile. Imbecilin. What are you speaking? German, Brian? German. Jermaine! Jermaine Jackson! Jackson 5. Tito! Brian, what the hell are you talking about? Oh no. I don't know, really. Great basketball talk, guys. Yeah, well, we, we talked Clay Thompson and, and John Wall. Did it mean say RIP there for Norm or for Cooper or both? What do you think? No. He didn't care. I don't think he's ever cared. But Tom, I care, even if I have to jet. And I want to say RIP about Cooper. He really was a great dog um, and a joy 
to commiserate with when I would roll through North Carolina. So I hope he is having a spectacular time in doggy heaven, and I wish your family condolences and also healing in this moment. It was really sweet. And sorry, I laughed at all of the means mean jokes. No, I, I laughed too. Norm Macdonald would be proud of, of us laughing at the at the sad fate of my dog Cooper. I love you, buddy, and you're obviously not listening. I don't know why I'm doing this for a Graham Post. You don't even speak English. Go hug Otto for me. <laughs> Big old hug.